cloud. All right, hello everyone, and welcome to the Genesis Block event sponsored by Finney21. Uh, for those who don't know, Finney21 is a full service Bitcoin consulting firm on a mission to accelerate the transition to scarce money by helping individuals, companies, and family offices understand, acquire, and custody Bitcoin. So if you want to know more about them, you can go to finney21.com. Today is January 3rd, 2024, and it marks the 15th anniversary of Bitcoin's Genesis block. So many viewed the Genesis block as the official birth of Bitcoin, even though it was preceded by the white paper. Uh, and really it marks sort of a momentous day when humanity was gifted a sound money protocol uh, by Satoshi Nakamoto. So Jan 3 is also known as proof of keys day. And we're gonna talk about that and what that means and maybe our thoughts about the future of self-custody. So I'm joined today by student of Bitcoin um, and we are both members of the Bitcoin Consulting Network. And we're here today to tell the story of the Genesis block, to share the meaning behind Proof of Keys Day, talk about how Bitcoin is reshaping humanity, reshaping us, and also sharing ideas on uh, what we're building uh, and what we are aware that other people are building on the new monetary bedrock for the world. So student of Bitcoin, thanks for being here. Thanks for being available. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to this conversation. Awesome. So current block height is 824.182. And with that said, let's dive in and start with the story of the Genesis block. So do you want to kick that off or do you want me to kick it off with some notes that I had? I was going to keep it fairly simple because I wanted to get into the meat of things. So I think you kick off with the story. Awesome. So I'll keep it brief. 15 years ago today, the first Bitcoin block was mined by Satoshi Nakamoto. It emerged uh, or Bitcoin emerged in the, in the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis uh, at a time when trust in banking was probably at its lowest uh, and individuals essentially had to foot the bill created by risky lending practices of big banks. So the Genesis block, also known as block zero, is effectively the ancestor block to every Bitcoin block in existence today, including today's, which, uh, the one that this currently is being recorded at, recorded at 824,182. So we've come a long way. Um, and that Genesis block recorded only a single transaction, which was the block reward. Uh, Satoshi used a CPU to mine it, and 50 Bitcoin was received as a block reward. However, those 50 Bitcoin are unspendable because of a non-standard scripting language that was used. Uh, another like little fact that I found really interesting was that mining difficulty at that time was one. And currently today, based on the amount of miners uh, online and just the computing power in the Bitcoin network, the current mining difficulty is sitting at 67 trillion. I won't go too deep into what that actually means, but just know that it's gotten a lot harder to mine Bitcoin than on that first Genesis block. Um, Satoshi also embedded a message uh, in the Genesis block, which, you know, there's a lot of hype and um, noise about inscriptions right now. And I guess technically this is actually Bitcoin's first official inscription. And it said, the Times, 3rd of January, 2009, Chancellor on the brink of second bailout for banks. And that was a headline for a London newspaper on the date of the Genesis block and kind of gives us a hint that perhaps Satoshi was sensitive to what was going on in the financial world 
and this notion that we seem to have these recurring crises where everyone pays the bill for risky behavior done by banks. And um, some actually say that the Times article inscription was a timestamp, which is essentially serving as proof of transparency that the Genesis block was mined on January 3rd and not before. So that's sort of the short story of the Genesis block. And uh, yeah, that was 15 years ago. And while the white paper was created uh, on October 31st, 2008, this really is the official birth of Bitcoin because it's the official spearhead beginning of um, the series of blocks that makes up um, Bitcoin, this, this ledger that has been ongoing since that time. So yeah, exciting day. You pretty much touched on everything I sort of had written. And to me, a few things that I found insightful, the fact that Satoshi sent it to an address that it can't be spent, almost proving that there wasn't in any ill intention between that for that first reward and also putting in that timestamp that, hey, this is the headline for this date. So there's no funny business for this block that has been added to the chain. And we love using the word blockchain. Very few actually use the word time chain. And the white paper, as we discussed earlier, has no reference to the blockchain. It only says chain. So now, is this the best way of keeping time but in terms of cryptography that Satoshi has given us? Because I saw an interesting tweet uh, yesterday. No, um, on, New Year's, on New Year's. If this is a time chain, how many years to go until we refer to it as before Bitcoin? and after Bitcoin. So now we're technically AB15, and is it going to take 100, 200, 1,000? I'm not sure. I don't know when we'll have the answer, but it was an interesting sort of thought experiment that, okay, instead of 2024, we're AB15. Now, what does that mean for us as a society? And I don't want to d dwell too deep into that, but food for thought that when do we keep time by blocks? Because you, I will, I've always admired that you start every every single call with the current block height and how long until it's not established in 1951 or 1971 it's established this block height. Time will tell. Time will tell. And it is <laughs> it is a super interesting topic. Uh, like Finney 21, for example, on the website no longer says yeah. established at a um, certain date. It says established at a mm -hmm. certain block. And I've seen that from a bunch of uh, sort of startups in the Bitcoin world. And yeah, it's like, when are we going to just look at watches that say the block height instead of a time? Because um, it is this super interesting thing where you can actually, while it's imperfect. Yeah, functionally, the, I feel we might have, yeah. While it's imperfect because you're not. Sorry, go ahead. You know, you can't possibly know in advance when that will, when a certain block will be with exact precision, right? Because it's approximately every 10 minutes for each block. But at the same time, the way we currently do time is also radically imperfect, right? You have all these different time zones. You have, I always get messed up every year at daylight savings because where I am in Canada does daylight savings in other areas of the world doesn't. So I got to like double check, triple check. And so it really is this, you know, idea that having a consensus time chain, which might be imperfect, but also requires some entropy to actually be exact 
It's this very interesting notion that, uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe one day feature on our watches will be the block height and maybe that will be what we, yeah. <laughs> what we use, uh, you know, as frequently as quote unquote standard time that we use now, who knows? As I think about it, I do see a lot of drawbacks on the like daily application, but there seems to be certain ways that it could be beneficial. So I'm not going to say too many words before really thinking out, thinking it internally, because I'll probably say something wrong that I'll regret. So let's just, <laughs> let's move on from this uh, on the watch feature. Sounds good. Yeah. I also reserve the right to say stupid things and change my mind at any <laughs> point. So I'll just put that caveat out there. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. So so that's the Genesis block and that's kind of what we're commemorating. Um, January 3rd is also known as proof of keys day. And so mm -hmm. every year on January 3rd, Bitcoiners are essentially encouraged to take custody of their keys and to bring their wealth under their full control. And the idea is that by withdrawing from exchanges and from other custodians um, and fractional reserve sort of schemes, you know, the quote unquote paper Bitcoin essentially gets shown for what it is and the Ponzi's and the other frauds are exposed. And it's sort of this um, cleansing event, basically, or, mm -hmm. or, or I think that was like the core ethos of it. And, you know, the reality is that taking self-custody requires a huge amount of personal responsibility. Uh, it reduces your theoretical counterparty risk to zero. And I think it's also an incredibly important part of keeping the UTOs, the UTXO set decentralized or keeping the Bitcoin network decentralized and not in the centralized control of one entity or set of entities. Um, and to me, I think proof of keys day, this idea that when a Bitcoiner actually makes the decision to take full self custody of their private keys, it's sort of a Genesis moment for that Bitcoiner uh, to begin a life as a new person who has decided to take radical responsibility for their own for their wealth. And so I think, you know, that's, that's an interesting thought. Um, what are your, what are your thoughts on that proof of keys day, what it means? Has it been something on your radar? Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on self custody? Before I jump into proof of keys day, you just mentioned something interesting about the Genesis moment for taking custody and the Genesis moment for taking ownership of Bitcoin. And I will, it's something to dissect even further because there's going to be so many Genesis moments in an individual sort of interaction with Bitcoin from the first sats to the first wallet, the first time they send it, the first time they spend it, the first time they buy it. And of course, the most important, when are they self-custody? And then how different forms of self-custody, multi-signature, is it a hardware wallet, steel plates? So it's, I don't want to harp on sort of that, the, the word genesis in the bitcoiners journey but let's getting getting back to topic about proof of keys we've talked this we've talked about this in our previous uh, interaction it is extremely important uh, i believe bitcoin was created to take self custody right the whole point of bitcoin was for us to interact and exchange value on the internet without any third party or any middleman and by that definition it means there should be no one involved except myself and you and the network. So the moment you're not keeping your keys within your own control, someone else has your keys, going back to our famous adage, not your keys, not your coins. Now, all that being said, having sort of been in Africa now for five months, and it's not just Africa, it's a worldwide problem. There are tons of communities 
economies, countries where as the value of the US dollar goes down, which means the value of Bitcoin goes up or the exchange rate, let's say, an individual to be able to take custody on chain is going to be more and more expensive. So if you go to a street side vendor in, let's say, rural India, for instance, do they have the means to take custody immediately? Unlikely. They're going to be coming through a custodial custodial solution. So as important as having proof of keys and taking custody is important, there is a caveat there. There's going to be different personas within their Bitcoin journey that are going to build up to it. So it is going to be difficult for us to say there is a right way and a wrong way. There is a path and someone will progress towards the path of self-custody and we should all aim to get that individual to self-custody. But is it possible in the future, 10, 20 years where on-chain transactions are so expensive that someone doesn't self-custody? Maybe. Am I happy with that? Not really, because I, I, I'm a huge believer of self-custodying, but I do see the use cases where it may not be possible or out of reach for certain individuals. Yeah, this is probably a point we can dive into a good amount because I have, you know, I've kind of just wandered into the thought space of like, okay, the past 15 years to me was sort of the gener genesis era of Bitcoin. The first 15 years, right? This thing went from nothing to mm -hmm. like a seed to an embryo. It went through all these sort of challenges and threats and, um, you know, has gotten to this point where now it almost seems like on the 15th anniversary, the past 15 years are sort of this, um, yeah, this Genesis era where, mm -hmm. which was underlined by mainly base chain activity, right? That mm -hmm. the initial development stages of, of layer two solutions like lightning or like liquid, mm -hmm. but mainly base chain activity, low transaction fees, um, mm -hmm relatively low exchange rate and actually this this is inspired by you this is actually one of those genesis moments for me where i'm no longer talking about the exchange rate when i timestamp a podcast i'm only going to do block cut i realized like you know if i'm really gonna live the you know my ideal which it, it is to yeah. never talk about the price price is not a thing because all that matters is that there's a hundred million sats in a Bitcoin and one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. And uh, you know, the trading, the whole notion of quoting a trading pair no longer resonates with me. So I'm not talking about that shit anymore. So thank you for Yay! inspiring that. <laughs> All right. I love it. I'm glad that's awesome um, to hear. Yeah. 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 You and, and Ben DeWall got to me. Um, so yeah, even I even looked up the word Genesis just to put a pin mm -hmm. in that is just like origin generation, creation, source, beginning. And I think you're right. I think, for a lot of Bitcoiners, there will be many beginnings of almost like these initiations in the world of Bitcoin. And I think proof of keys day until now, I think has actually been important, but proof of keys day moving forward will be, I think, less so important to the point where if I fast forward 15 years, I don't actually see the average individual uh, owning a UTXO. I see communities owning UTXOs um, where there might be, you know, you have things, you have technologies coming online like uh fediment um mm -hmm. where while the, while individuals in a community will not have keys to a utxo a community right. and a set of guardians might have 
uh, might manage uh, a, a subset of UTXOs, which then get turned into uh, like a Chamium Mint to create an eCash for a community. So I think, I think self-custody, the, the meaning of self-custody is simply going to change where like a family unit might self-custody some UTXOs. A community unit might custody their own UTXOs um, as opposed to having it being in some giant centralized custodian. But I do think uh, it's going to be I think most people in future won't self-custody and this might actually be the last decade, right? You know, from now until like 2030, this might be the last decade where average people taking custody of main chain UTXOs is a thing. And it almost seems to me that like in 15 years, having self-custody, having keys to a UTXO on the main chain might be as uncommon as someone owning five acres of land in Manhattan, right? It just won't, it just won't be a thing potentially. I don't know. I could be proven wrong on yeah. that. But I think it, it really, the pain that we're going to experience with higher um, on-chain fees is going to be a beautiful uh, incentive to design layer additional layered solutions, which maintain the ethos of self-custody, like something like Phoenix Wallet, which is lightning, but it's non-custodial. I think there's going to be more and more of that created where we're still going to take ownership of the keys out of the hands of giant custodians, which present a centralization risk, but we're going to have more creative ways of doing, uh, of custodying keys instead of it just being individuals doing it. That's just my thought. So yeah, I think proof of keys day is maybe like a first era, um, ethos, but it might be harder and harder for that to pair forward, uh, moving on from now. So we'll see. Maybe this is the educator side of me coming that I feel it should always stay relevant and important so people are aware that it is a possibility and they are capable of taking their own keys. So I would never diminish the importance of this day that we all should always, I wouldn't say preach, but at least inform everyone that you should be looking at taking custody of your own coins. Now, I feel the... The, the nuance here is the economic benefit for each individual to do that. So I'll give you an example. Today, we were in Kampala and we went to this perfume store. So it's a small uh, business. She sells perfume and other cologne and small products, beauty products. Um, and they're, they're sold anywhere between, let's say, 10, 5 to $25. I purchased uh, a cologne for my friend. And it was conversion in Ugandan shillings was 15,000 shillings, which is roughly, uh, don't quote me, roughly around five to seven Canadian dollars. Okay. Now, this business owner received five to seven Canadian dollars in shillings, which is 15,000 shillings. So let's say she makes a couple more sales in Bitcoin. She now has 30 Canadian dollars. If the fee is $10 to go on chain, is she really going to take custody of those coins? Unlikely. So the custody sort of mentality, I feel, really depend on the economic benefit of the wealth that you're holding in Bitcoin. And if you've got a larger portion of your wealth that you're willing to pay that premium to take your keys, then you definitely should do that. But if you're a small time vendor on the street selling corn and you're only getting maybe a couple cents a day in Bitcoin and maybe in a month you have 100 or 200 does it make sense for you? Like you said, really more makes more sense for it to be a community in a Fedi 
situation or a setup where the guardians of the community have set of the keys and they're able to provide the uh, expenditures to the individuals based on the need. So again, like you said, this is just the genesis of potentially a new era of how this is being used and how this plays out. It's a best guess because we only time will tell. Yeah. And I think, I think even within an individual, uh, proof of keys means different things, right? I think, um, expecting an individual to transact on main chain for $10 transactions is like expecting people to walk around with a giant 300 pound vault to spend their money at stores. Like it's not, it's not the same thing. Right. So, right. you know, to me, it's like someone can use a custodial wallet of Satoshi like solution for day-to-day -day spending. Uh, and mm -hmm. actually Jan three, the company is officially releasing a wallet called Aqua today, which I'm excited to try out which yeah, is a day-to-day -day layer two lightning and liquid enabled wallet that's designed as day-to-day -day spending specifically for the South American market. So I think we're going to have more things like that. I'm going to check that out today, mm -hmm. see what the UI and UX is like, because it's always improving. And so someone can use a wallet of Satoshi or an Aqua for day-to-day -day spending, and maybe the entire family unit, their vault in cyberspace is a set of UTXOs that they hold the keys to. So, mm -hmm. so no, you know, it doesn't proof of keys doesn't mean you need the private keys for every transaction or every set you own. It just means that I think, like you said, the aspiration is that we have this proof based system where when you can take custody of your own keys and manage your own wealth, you should aspire to do so in the long term, right? When you have mm -hmm. enough wealth built, when you have enough understanding built and confidence built to actually do so confidently. Um, then I think it's a good thing to do. And I think the other thing too is proof of keys can also serve as an ethos, even when we have, for example, banks custodying sats, there should be an element of transparency where proof of keys, proof of actually reserves should be a thing. Um, whereas right now it's not, right? This fractional reserve system is just fraudulent and bankrupt and it's bullshit. And I think even when Bitcoin goes into the Uber mainstream and, yeah, and actually are like uh... banks are custodying it, proof of keys should still be a thing at the custodian level to basically say, you must prove that you actually own these sats and that you're not just doing another fractional reserve system on top of Bitcoin. So I think it holds there too. Absolutely. And the good thing is Bitcoin is transparent. So it's, uh, you, it's very easy to see if this is true or not. Uh, that said, are these conglomerates or corporations going to be willing to share that information? I feel it comes down to individuals like us and who understand the space to at least call out those corporations of how it needs to be used or at least the level, the, the standard that they need to uphold while Bitcoin is sort of seeking mass adoption. And there are two things that stuck out in what you just said. One, I want to just uh, st uh, step back for a second. You mentioned five acres of land and I've, I made this connection a while ago and I was speaking to a realtor and I don't feel it's something spoken about a lot, you know, because Bitcoin to us is a digital ledger. But the analogy I've used is Bitcoin is digital soil because each UTXO you own is like soil, but on the Bitcoin ledger. And it's not a concept that's been spoken about too much. Uh, I wrote a couple of notes about it, but I haven't really given it. Uh, I should almost just write a book specific on digital soil and why Bitcoin is digital soil, because I found the realtor 
you know, land, everyone loves land and everyone just makes, it's like, I like gold. I like land. It's like, why do you like land? Well, it's scarce. Oh, wait, you like scarcity. What if that scarcity was online? It's like, is it possible? Yeah. It's something called Bitcoin. And then within just a few questions, he's like, oh, wait, I think I see why Bitcoin is interesting. And I'm like, yes, this is why you should study more about Bitcoin. And that's just wanted to sort of share that digital soil, uh, sort of mental model, but about wallets, I feel what in the future, what we're going to start seeing is wallets are really going to start competing with a, let's say a one all be all super app in the Bitcoin space. You know, if I were to design the perfect wallet, it would be a social app. It would be a wallet that allows me to send receive. It's an education platform that allows me to sort of go through quizzes like Blink. I've gained a lot of appreciation for Blink recently and I use that for onboarding because there's an earn section where you're able to learn about Bitcoin and earn sats by doing so. So now the future is really going to be about how do these organizations align with the Bitcoiners values and be able to onboard someone as they're aligned with those values that you and I would share. And it isn't something that, oh yes, I'm going to hide all my information. I'm not going to tell you anything and you're only going to be able to send and receive and you need to give me information. So it will be interesting to see, and I might be I'm sort of jumping ahead to what the future might hold, but I'm excited to see how builders will build and how we uphold our Bitcoiner values against those builders to make sure that they're Bitcoin first and they're aligning well with the values that we've sort of built so far in the 15 years. Yeah, and I think the beauty of an open network is that the best experience wins, right? The way to actually gain customers um, is actually to build things that are in alignment with this protocol that is reshaping people over time. And just back to the banks, I think, you know, people like us consultant who are, who are sort of looking at this concept of Bitcoin consulting, whether that is for individuals or for companies, number one, we do have a likelihood of being involved in some way with these banks if they choose to adopt Bitcoin, right? Like Tangerine mm -hmm. Bank, CIBC Bank, they're going to need people who are in the Bitcoin world who understand, you know, the plumbing of how this works to at least give them some insight. And so we have, you know, whether it's us or whether it's any consultant, we'll have some influence over, you know, helping the bank understand these are ways that you should do things that align with Bitcoin because the only way that Bitcoiners are going to give you their sats. Um, and then it always falls back to the individual level, right? If, if as Bitcoiners, if anyone who owns Satoshi's takes it on themselves, take on the responsibility of being informed about the core principles and philosophy of Bitcoin, they're going to be able to essentially decide who they give their sats to. If they eventually give a portion of their sats to a bank to custody so that they can borrow against it or so that they can, you know, I don't know if those legacy institutions will ever make the cross the chasm. Um, but an educated consumer is what keeps businesses in check to say like, mm -hmm. okay, if you're not actually going to be transparent with your UTXOs and show proof of keys, I'm not going to give you any of my business and a bank can create whatever Bitcoin products they want, but if no one wants them, they're not going to actually succeed. So I think it always falls back to the individual to just be informed of like, what does Bitcoin stand for? What was it created for? What are the core principles that are deeply rooted in this protocol that everyone should know, even at a simple level, like even a 14 year old can understand these things are not, this isn't rocket science. And so, yeah, if we remain informed and curious, we're going to be able to make sure that the products created in the world uh, remain in alignment to some extent with 
proof of keys, transparency, and just the philosophy of Bitcoin. So, and you know, having worked for a fintech in Canada, I will say that it's in every bank's best interest to start adopting it because if you view it just as technology, this is superior technology to move money around. Yeah. So the way that banks currently move money around is archaic and it doesn't make sense because there's a middleman that takes a huge cut and those are card networks. So any, because in our, in our society, cards rule our payment in landscape in Africa, I, I've come to realize very quickly, cards aren't a thing. Hmm. Banks are really, yeah, banks exist, but majority of individuals here have money stored in their telecom wallets. So the way, so I'll finish my first thought, uh, tangerine, uh wow rbc name a bank in canada it's in their best interest to adopt because you stop paying fees to my uh to mastercard visa amex you now take control if you run your own lightning node you set the fees that you want and now you're making immediate revenue and you control yeah. in a transparent network so it's in their best interest but speaking about africa and the unbanked and again not just africa india nepal south america Name dozens of countries around the world with where smartphone penetration hasn't truly been the majority. Telecom companies own the banking network, really. So the example here is, uh, I'll, I'll use Rogers as an example. So if Rogers existed here, what I would be able to do is go get a Rogers SIM card and imagine every convenience store in the country being called a Rogers money agent. I can go to that agent. They're just on the street. They, it's like, even if it's not a convenience store, it's just a person sitting with a little desk. Nothing, nothing fancy. You go to that individual, you tell them, I want to deposit money into my phone number. You hand them shillings, they deposit money into your phone number. Now, if you go to another agent and you get paid, so I can send you money directly from my phone number to your phone number. So if I send you 10,000 shillings, you can walk to an agent Say, I want to uh, withdraw 10,000 shillings and you can withdraw. And that's really how money moves here. And the reason I'm bringing this up is money moves in so many different ways all around the world. And we now have one way that we can all adhere to that is transparent. And there's solutions, even if you don't have the internet. So there's a solution here called Machankura that even with a feature phone or what we would call a dumb phone, you can send money on lightning. Now, it's that kind of innovation that we're going to need until smartphone penetration truly reaches, let's say, a tipping point that everyone can use Bitcoin with the internet. So all to say, banks need to adopt and Bitcoin gives us a way to move money all around the world, regardless of where you live. So we're living in insane times uh, I and I can't yep. wait to see how this progresses. <sighs> Dude, it's so when I really sit back and think about what what we're looking at, like it's so easy to be in the Bitcoin world that you kind of like forget what actually this is, right? This zero to one moment that happened 15 years ago that cannot unhappen. And the unlock that this actually will offer humanity forever. Like it can't, this cannot be stopped. It can be slowed, but it cannot be stopped. And there's something, you know, even just the notion that if money is information and data, fundamentally it makes perfect sense for the information network providers the phone networks to essentially claim domain over sending money even if it's not bitcoin right even if they're doing it internally but it will eventually be bitcoin because the idea that 
yeah, it's nice to be able to transact with your phone within Africa, but like, it's kind of nicer to be able to transact with the world with your phone. Mm -hmm. um, so the and, joke I make here, sorry, finish your thought. I was just going to say, and you know, maybe we don't, maybe locally, we don't even need smartphone penetration to even be a thing, right? Like maybe that's, maybe that's only a thing in major hubs. And then the smartphone, the dumb phone, the telecom networks have some sort of bridge to Bitcoin that allow them to be this like local surrogate network that actually don't require smartphones. Like it's so interesting that that's a thing, like without a smartphone, without the internet, you can send Bitcoin to someone else with your phone, with a Nokia dumb phone. That's mm -hmm. insane. Like the level of innovation happening on open networks in ways that we can't even imagine. And maybe we, we don't even need to imagine a place like Canada because we take the internet for granted. We take smartphones and banking for granted. Like, what about someone in the Amazon that actually will never have a hope in hell of ever going into a bank branch ever, but they have a solar panel in the middle of the jungle that was dropped, which has a cell tower attached and they might hunt for all of their food and be completely self-reliant except for this one tool, which is a simple Nokia phone that they can now use to interact with anyone in the world or anyone in the jungle, even though they don't have the internet. Like that's cool. That is so crazy to me. It's, it's, it's basically magic, really. Yes. And the joke I was supposed to mention is if, so when I first land, uh, when we got to Egypt, that's where sort of the, the money movement through the telecoms really like hit me. I'm like, oh my God. So you guys don't, you like, this is how you move money just through your telecoms and you're able to withdraw directly from an ATM. Like, it's crazy. Imagine, imagine on your phone, you have an app, you go to an ATM. You're like, I want to withdraw this off my Rogers money wallet. And you go to a TD. You, this, this is, this is what I was doing. So you have a Rogers wallet. So of course I'm giving you the Canadian example to, to, and uh, to be an analogy for the uh, Egyptian counterpart, but you have a Rogers phone wallet. It's got money in it. You walk to a TD, you walk to a CIBC, you walk to a Scotia, you tell them, you tell the ATM, I'm withdrawing. You put an OT, like you get a one-time password, your phone number, and you withdraw cash directly from the ATM. You don't need a TD account. You don't need a CIBC account. You don't need a RBC account. Just with that Rogers uh, telecom account, you're able to do that. And that's when, you know, it was eye-opening experience to realize like, in North America, we're just, I don't want to say sheltered, but we've taken a lot of things for granted because we don't have the same problems the rest of the world has. And this pilgrimage has opened our eyes to just internet availability, you know, internet speeds, internet uploads, you know, we're used to being like, yeah, I can stream this one terabyte, no problem, hmm. no big deal. Oh, it's 300 gigs. Ah, I can do it. I need to upload 200 gigs. I've got bandwidth. And then you get dropped here. And, and not to say the speeds are bad. There are regions where speeds are amazingly great. But you go to certain Airbnbs or you go to certain Wi-Fi hotspots. And it's not the same or Wi-Fi is just not readily available. But competition here between telecoms are so large that data is extremely cheap. And you have to c commend them for that. What would cost us 10 gigs of data with Rogers is $60. 10 gigs here cost me $1. Wow. Sometimes two, depending on where you are. And speaking Freaking of state competition, monopolies ruin everything. It's like, what? Just let the free market do its job. And speaking of competition, I was, so my buddy today went to the bank for something and I, I'm like, I'm coming to the bank. I just want to see what's up. 
And I'm at the bank and I saw a Western Union uh, flyer and I'm like, hmm, I wonder what this says. So I pick it up. It says 1% fee to send to Asia from Uganda. And Western Union typically charges anywhere to 3 to 5%. And the first thing I thought of, well, if there's competition from all these different providers, of course, Western Union has to keep up. Yep. So now if Bitcoin is an open network where we're able to send money with minimal fees anywhere in the world, what do all these conglomerates do? They either have to innovate, which is either adopt Bitcoin itself, or they need to cut, cut their immediate fees. Which one comes first? They're going to cut fees first before mm. they even consider adopting it. So we're going to see a lot of competition in the financial industry and the markets in the near future, because it's only a matter of time that people start opening their eyes. And one thing that I'm excited for, you know, people always say, ah, oh, institution money, exchange rate goes up. That's not what I'm excited for. I'm excited to see how people and the naysayers that have always said, this is a scam, this is a fad, oh, this is a Ponzi, to finally realize there's a fixed supply and everyone who understands basic economics when there's fixed supply and there's certain amount of demand in the world, what happens to the value of that item, collectible, commodity, whatever you want to call it, and what happens to the network and the market overall. And that's what I'm most interested to see is how the world, the genesis moment for the world to finally realize, wait a second, these aren't crazy people. There is something here. Mm -hmm. Oh, the news that I was listening to, were they wrong? Because five years ago they said, this is a scam, but now they're selling me an ETF? When did this change? Why did it change? And I'm excited for these individuals to start having that curiosity to be like, maybe I should read about this. And that Genesis moment is going to be beautiful. And it seems like that Genesis moment has been, ha is like unevenly distributed and has been happening, but is going to happen at an accelerating rate. And I completely agree. I actually, I've lost any interest or care about what institutional adoption or ETFs is going to do to the trading pair of Bitcoin. What I am excited about is the idea that millions of dollars of marketing money is going to be mm -hmm. spent to inform people about bitcoin yes. and, and we're not paying for shit like it's free marketing mm -hmm. uh, and and the secondary part of that is if you just look at bitcoin as a network with 2.1 quadrillion pieces mm -hmm. the people who adopt it earliest and have a piece of that network one satoshi is one piece of the network as wealth is funneled into the network and the network value increases, mm -hmm. there's this elegant mechanism whereby the people who benefit most from the unfair system will adopt this new fair global network last, right? They will, they will take their legacy world wealth channel it into the new network and everyone who has a piece of that network, everyone who has a Satoshi will be made wealthier when all of these legacy world wealthy people eventually adopt it. So just the idea that price aside, the notion that when Wall Street adopts Bitcoin, everyone in El Salvador who owns Satoshis or Africa becomes significantly wealthier and actually gets repaid for this unfair system that they've been essentially punished by for their entire lives there's something very elegant about that wealth transfer 
that is beautiful and unstoppable. So yeah, I'm excited to see, I'm excited to see ETF ads and Super Bowl Bitcoin ads, not because of the ETFs, because I'm excited to see, wow, there's a genesis moment in the mainstream culture that now Bitcoin is no longer this fringe niche scammy thing that people can just FUD at, mm-hmm. at a whim if they have enough money. It's actually this thing that is creating a bedrock for a new financial world. And it doesn't matter how much people fight it, it's inevitable. So I'm excited. Yeah. As excited as I am, you know, as you're sort of going through those motions, the one thing that stands out for me personally is we've seen a lot of paper in our life that was fiat, right? Now, when the institutions come in, the average person doesn't know the difference between paper Bitcoin Mm. and real Bitcoin, right? Even if you're not taking custody, right? There is the difference between real Bitcoin and paper Bitcoin. And one will argue, if you're not taking custody, it's not real Bitcoin, right? That argument aside, let's put that aside. Because if you're receiving $1 for a corn that you sell on the street, right? You're doing it through a custodian solution, most likely. Okay. Even let's say, you know what? Let's say you receive it in Phoenix for the, for, since it's uh, proof of keys day, let's say you're receiving that dollar in Phoenix. There is a difference between receiving that dollar in Phoenix versus the ETF paper Bitcoin. Now you're not really going to be able to make that move, but the knowledge base that there is a difference between being, making that collectible, let's just say, making it move from one to another versus just this ETF that's just paper it's in our best interest and we should rally together to make sure that even though that those Super Bowl commercials happen, and yes, it's great for the network overall, but it's just a nuance that as educators, consultants, uh, individuals, that we should make sure that our immediate community is aware that if the ETF doesn't have, like you said, proof of funds or reserves that backs it one-to-one, then that's paper. Yes, And I was looking at some tweets someone posted that it seems like Fidelity is the only one that's going to self-custody and a lot of them are going to be using Coinbase. And will Coinbase self-custody? Are they going to use someone else? I'm not going to get into that. But all to say, as exciting as it is, it is also a moment for all of us to recognize, to make sure that we continue this path of education, awareness, that there is a difference. Yeah. The rug pulls will continue until self-custody improves. And Coinbase may be the biggest rug pull by the state even uh, ever, right? It seems like it yeah. seems like there, there's this, there are these local limits where we, where bigger and bigger frauds and Ponzi's are enabled with each adoption wave, right? Because the technology is just allowing things to spin up. Like it's like with a digital technology, you, you can do Bernie Madoff times a thousand because digital is faster and it's just, it can catch people off guard. So yeah, I think a lot of people will invest in the ETF who aren't ready to understand or are unwilling to understand Bitcoin and the difficulties they have when they actually want to have that wealth be kept in their family and not pay capital gains or whatever it is that pain will trigger them to learn deeper about Bitcoin. And like you said, you know, my hope is that people, friends and family see a Super Bowl, Bowl ad about Bitcoin, and then they come to they me come and to ask us. me about Bitcoin, and then I can then channel their attention and say, you need to learn this and you need to do it in this way, and this is why. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, for some reason, the legitimacy of a Super Bowl ad might supersede the legitimacy of, of my my advice every fucking Thanksgiving. But you know what? It is what it is. Um, so, yeah, I you know, think just the spreading of Bitcoin into the cultural narrative is the thing I'm excited about. I'm well aware of the risks and probably the pain that's going to be created by this paper Bitcoin. But I think this is just the next layer of, you know, mm -hmm. growth that happens and not all growth is comfortable. And on the other side of pain is always an insight that leads to a better understanding and a better way of doing things. And so I think it's just, this is just the way it's gonna go. Yeah, but you hit the nail on the head. You know, it's, it's free marketing that we're not paying for. Until now, we haven't had a marketing team. Bitcoin doesn't have a marketing team, right? And right. companies refuse to pay the top dollar for Bitcoin ads and whatnot. Bull market, they're like, yeah, Bitcoin does buy our products, but it's not about Bitcoin education. But like you said, once Wall Street gets in, yes, they want every single penny into the Bitcoin ETF and ride that wave as much as they can. And if that means we leverage that to say, hey, you saw that Super Bowl commercial, you know, that ETF, well, here's what it really is. So we can hop on that. And that's invaluable because we're not spending our sats, someone's spending fiat to raise awareness. So we'll take it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think even, you know, institutions aside from legacy finance, I think the... You know, if we rewind, it's like, okay, Bitcoin was a genesis moment for humanity where, where there was this inception of sound money for the world, a new mm -hmm. fair global monetary ledger that is honest and serves as a uh, viable and better replacement to the dishonest, various dishonest ledgers that are being used by certain countries as their political currencies. And, mm -hmm. you know, this was a zero to one moment. Bitcoin has no CEO, it has no rules. Rule, it has no rulers, only rules. It's mm -hmm. global, open, and borderless. It's energy-backed money for the cyber domain, whereby no state has any say or authority within that cyber domain. It's a domain without masters. It's a domain of freedom. Uh, it's a peer-to-peer -peer network for value transfer. It's a monetary network that can't be manipulated, and it essentially provides property rights for every human mm -hmm. on the planet who can access that, that network. And fundamentally, I think the the thing that really lands hardest with me is the world is going to operate on an internet economy. The internet economy will be more powerful and contain more wealth than any single national economy in the world. And Bitcoin is money for the internet economy. And I think that that is all of those things packed into this thing that was created 15 years ago is the genesis moment for humanity to actually have a sound money that can serve as the bedrock for the future of the world for everything being mm -hmm. built and i think the genesis era the first 15 years comes to an end today and the next era the next 15 years will usher in this you know i think the next 15 crazy. years will be radically different than the first 15 years and i think you know we lived through some dark times in created by fiat in the world and i think yeah. the reward for people who live through these times is actually the ability to be part of the genesis era of bitcoin it's like the reward for being part of the biggest psyops and coercion operations by the state is that you are you are allowed to acquire a piece of this network before the network actually goes into mm -hmm. into the mainstream and if you know if we're less than five percent maybe less than two percent adoption like we're at the very ground floor of the next thousand years and i, I don't I even think, think we're at the ground floor we, we think we're in the basement we've just been building the, ba the basement so <laughs> we're the putting down cinder blocks in the in the subfloor basement <laughs>
Oh, yeah, it really is. It really is incredible. So, so that was the, one the thing Genesis I moment for humanity. And for the next 15 years, one thing I would urge Bitcoiners and just individuals as a whole is, you know, to the masses, Bitcoin is nebulous. It's just this thing that they don't understand. They can't touch. I would urge every single one to strive to bring Bitcoin to something and meet people where they're already at. So rather than just bringing it as internet money, how do we come up with novel, novel ways to introduce Bitcoin. So one thing I've really like, how do we introduce to pop culture, art, music, uh, our day-to-day -day basis, not just as money, right? Like for instance, I mentioned, I think I mentioned Man Like Quicks. I met him in Tanzania. He is an amazing artist. The first song I listened to was called DCA to BTC. And that was on repeat the entire day. And he, he released an album, uh, Straight Pleb Chain. And he just released another song today called Bangers, Start 2024. And he just, he talks about Noster. He talks about Bitcoin, uh, an orange lens with a purple view to get the colors in. And it is straight fire. And that's just one way, like Bitcoin art. How do we get into the pop culture? Like we're, I'm going to be in Kampala for at least a few months. And another idea we're toying around is how do you make Bitcoin healthy or nutritious? You know, what if you opened a business that revolves around Bitcoin so that the introduction to Bitcoin isn't Bitcoin, it's maybe juice, it's maybe a snack, it's fruits. How do you, and we know in uh, in Brazil, they've got uh, fruits for sats. So how do you bring these novel ways and what are these new genesis moments of these novel methods that we can take Bitcoin to someone where they're at? You know, what if... Like we were walking down because the Makerere University, the largest university in Uganda is pretty much right next door. And while we were walking past it, we saw the basketball court and we thought, what if we host an event or tournament, a basketball tournament, but the prizes and sats mm. and you have maybe a little booth to help people understand Bitcoin or at least give sats away. So they at least get onboarded in a fun way through basketball and not, hey, you heard of this internet money? And how do we progress sort of that line of thinking rather than just, have you heard of the blockchain? Is this transparent ledger that is super cool? Hmm. Uh, instead of, hey, we're a Bitcoin juice shop. If you pay in shillings, there's a 10% surcharge. But if you but you pay in Bitcoin is this price. You know, yeah. rather than discounting Bitcoin, maybe, maybe a surcharge for fiat. So what are these different ways that we can sort of bring someone to Bitcoin without actually saying the blockchain or money and bring it to their day-to-day -day life? And I feel this year I'm going to be spending a lot of time sort of focusing on how do you make Bitcoin addictive? How do you make Bitcoin sexy? How do you make Bitcoin nutritious? Because we know Bitcoin is so many other things. And I've learned onboarding people, if you just stick to the way you onboard, you're not going to onboard the whole world. We've got to find different ways. And yeah, I'll report back on how this adventure goes. I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, I, I had conversations with a friend of the pickleball court and we talked about this okay. idea of opening up a pickleball club and having the bee in pickleball be a Bitcoin bee and Do have, it. It, have it be a soft, a, like have the culture of the club be a soft orange pill whereby mm -hmm. we don't push bitcoin on anyone ever the culture is you do not bring up bitcoin you simply let people ask questions and then you 
you ask them better questions to ask themselves, exactly. right? And this notion mm-hmm. that building community hubs, like a juice store, like a farmer's market, like a pickleball club that are not about Bitcoin, but are wrapped around Bitcoin that work in right. alignment with the Bitcoin philosophy of low time preference, build quality, uh, allow Bitcoin to be used as the monetary unit to trade within these businesses. Um, yeah, I think that's that's where the next 15 years has to go, right? No one gives a shit about a sound monetary ledger because no one really thinks about monetary ledgers, like really. Um, mm-hmm. But but if you can imbue, if you can sort of inject Bitcoin, the values of Bitcoin, the symbology of Bitcoin, soft education points that actually hit people like you said having a surcharge on fiat and a different price um in bitcoin like that stimulates people wanting to ask a question like the implicit question there when you're actually shown that is why are they willing to accept less if i pay in bitcoin like why do they value bitcoin mm-hmm. so much and mm-hmm. that might bring forth some sort of questioning or and and regardless of whether it brings up questioning there is an irreversible touch point that has been had by that person where Bitcoin has entered their brain and they've had to think deeper than just seeing a B or thinking it was a scam. So I think it's the accumulation of touch points that actually chips away at someone's curiosity to the point where they're actually willing to learn about it meaningfully. And I think the more we can softly inject Bitcoin into, uh, like you said, art, music, culture, sports, recreation, health, um, you know, I did a Bitcoin and health podcast and we talked about this idea of physicians and medical professionals accepting Bitcoin for payment um, mm-hmm. and actually giving people a discount if they pay in Bitcoin. And there, there's something about the medical world where you're going, you're trusting these people with your life. Literally, mm-hmm. you're trusting them. To, you're receiving advice from them or treatment advice about your life. If someone you deeply trust with your life is signaling that they would rather receive Bitcoin for payment than fiat, you might ask mm-hmm. yourself why. You might not do it right away, but there might be a lingering element there where like, ooh, there's something there. Maybe I have something to learn. So I think that's where it's at. And I think the business side of it, businesses accepting Bitcoin and offering some differential in how much they're willing to accept as payment in Bitcoin versus fiat mm-hmm. is like a really powerful one, despite it being pretty subtle on the, on the surface. I just, there's one thing that you said that I just want to, I don't say correct, but sort of add some context. I too would always use the word to businesses all the time. If you get payment in Bitcoin, give them a discount. And I feel what that does, it puts Bitcoin in sort of the discount section, which Mm. I've realized being in Kampala while talking to the guys here, it's better when you say there's a surcharge for the dollar or the shilling or the pound. Because now it's like, well, why am I paying extra for this paper money? And it's the same thing, right? It's the same thing. You're giving a yes. discount for Bitcoin. It's just the wording. But it's, just, it's just the wording. It's just the wording. It's just the like wording. Uh, so yeah, noodle on that a bit. Uh, because I would always use the word discount to all the businesses that I interact with. And then I'm sort of changing my tune by saying, yeah, accept Bitcoin, but p- give a surcharge for fiat, which is your current price. Yes. I like and, that. That's totally different. It sounds so different. And yet it's just a subtle reframe. Amazing. Yeah. And I think for a lot of Bitcoiners, when you've been immersed in Bitcoin for long enough, I think it also welcomes in sort of a genesis of new thinking, which is it's no longer about investing in Bitcoin. 
and you know mm-hmm. having a trade mm-hmm. on the tail end where you get more fiat it's about viewing bitcoin as the escape from the dishonest ledger where there is actually no going back right and that even that i think in the mind of bitcoiners is a genesis moment that happens at varying places on their continuum mm-hmm. but it's a radical shift from a trade to an ejection with no return to the dishonest ledger yeah i've always hated the word like my biggest telltale sign when i speak to someone and they're like i know bitcoin i'm like tell me more and the moment i hear a few words i know how much they know and invest is one of those key words even if you're if i even if you've read all the bitcoin books and you still use the word invest i sort of tread with caution because to me it means that you're looking for a return and i've always held the belief i found new money i'm not looking for a return i just found new money and i like this money better and I want to use this money for my day-to-day. And I would hope everyone to use it. We're just not there yet. And one thing I've been harping on a lot recently is sort of an onboarding analogy, mechanism, mental model, whatever you want to call it, the four S's to make it simple. Because you get into Bitcoin, there's like, oh my God, how do I, or what do I do? Is it an investment? Is it a crypto? It's money. Do I like, do I buy? Do I sell? And the four S's are study Bitcoin. Save Bitcoin, whether you're earning it or buying it. Spend Bitcoin because it has to move. And then make sure you spread the knowledge that you've gained. Because just hoarding it isn't going to help adoption. And I'm trying to sort of share this four S's as much as I possibly can with everyone. Because I feel I had to go through a lot of obstacles and pitfalls to learn this myself. And I'd like to make it simple for someone that's new in the space how do I start? Here are four things. Maybe even if not for just study, you know, before you <laughs> even think of doing anything, learn a bit. I love that. Uh, but I will say, please open that pickleball court. And uh, <laughs> if you're looking for investors, let me know because it's ideas like this that are going to permeate within a community because I won't even use the word orange pill. It is these small interactions like wait there's that bitcoin b and pickleball i wonder what that even means and putting it huge on each side of the court having a like this is going to happen i i it's low time preference but the idea the whole idea is start with one pickleball court have pickleball written on each side of the court in giant letters with the b in the Mm -hmm. middle being a bitcoin b and being orange and have that place serve as a health hub that has a little snack mm-hmm. bar that hosts health events, that hosts dance nights, music nights, like have it be literally there's like, you know, when you go hunt deer, you can do it in two ways. One way to do it is you put a salt lick and you create something that brings all the deer in. This is right. like the equivalent is <laughs> create a salt lick for humans around fun play health and bitcoin to bring them there because it's the most awesome fun place to go and then have bitcoin be this giant bee beyond the court be around them at all times have signage everywhere have everyone there be incentivized to have okay when a new person comes you don't say the word bitcoin until they bring it up and then you can sort of see where they're at and i think that you know building a template like that with pickleball blowing up could be a really interesting thing because you could open source the business protocol and say anyone who wants to do it here's mm-hmm. how we did it go do it right now yeah well first is i love the analogy of going down and hunting no coiners so i like that <laughs> yeah. uh and i agree that this has to be an open source model because that's what so 
some context, I'm in Kampala now with the team from GorillaSats and Bitcoin Kampala. So it's two, three founders that have founded these two organizers. One is a not-for-profit and one is for-profit. And the idea is to build a circular economy in Uganda using Bitcoin. So all these crazy ideas that I'm bouncing off of are from sort of like us just permeating and like trying to synergize on how to make Bitcoin, to bring it to the common folk. And what it sounds like is you've answered the question is how do you make Bitcoin healthy, right? The pickleball court is making Bitcoin healthy. Yes, Bitcoin as a protocol, as a network, blah, 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 blah. But now how do we take it out of there and bring it mainstream without actually mentioning Bitcoin, right? And you know, you, the, the, the answer that you have or the question that you've answered through pickleball is you're making Bitcoin healthy through those different facets. And given your background in health, that's the perfect solution. Because now you're going to build a community, just as you said, you're going to have these soft interactions. And at some point, just through just payments alone, right? Even without using the word, hey, if you pay in Canadian dollar, there's a surcharge of 15%. And you're like, wait, so that's the amount of tax that if I paid in Bitcoin, I save? Huh. I wonder how I even get a hold of this thing. Bam. (laughs) Now the next question is, well, if they're soon enough, that's where they're going through of the savings. If not, it's like, well, why is first question is like, why am I paying a surcharge? Is the first question they're likely to ask. But I love it. Please, low time. It doesn't matter. Five, 10, 15 years. I will be there for the inauguration of this pickleball court. Amazing. And even like there's so many little ideas I've picked up over the years. Even something as simple as kids that play at the pickleball court, they come early. And if they sweep the court or clean the court, they get 100 sats. You know, 100%. it's like it literally just offers people an opportunity to be compensated for their time and energy. No, you don't need to show ID to have a client on your on your mobile phone. And anyone, any kid, any adult can contribute in some way. And there's there's mm-hmm. this funny thing that happens on the pickleball court where between games, you sit on a bench beside someone, gather your breath. A lot of interesting conversations come up. And if you had the, the post for the pickleball net right in front of the bench that said, study Bitcoin, that's going to be a conversation topic at some point. You just engineer the environment so that Bitcoin, yes. <laughs> they can't escape Bitcoin. Yes. And um, yeah, so I will, I'll let you know when that happens and when the inaugural game happens, because it's going to happen hundred percent. I'm going to be involved and I have other people who are keen to get involved as well. And uh, yeah, just making a community health hub where people go there because of the community nourishment they get, the education, the connection with people, the play, um, the food, right? Having it be a source for local, mm-hmm. high quality, locally grown foods where all the vendors accept sats as payment. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's a fiat surcharge if we even accept fiat. But <laughs> having it really just be a place of a place of awesomeness that just happens to be built on Bitcoin. But it's yeah. not about the Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Mm-mm. I think I will. Was... Yeah, sign me up. Sign me up. I would, <laughs> I would love to be part of it uh, cool. because we're like, in the next three months, I'm hoping to have some good news about the the ideas I'm spinning around the juice shop or like the basketball. Uh, I'm hoping I'll have I can be more public about what exactly we could is going to transpire. We're working through it right now. Uh, and what you said about kids for sats, yes, it's like what Ikazi is doing in South Africa, where I don't know if you've heard of uh, how he has sur- uh, he has a surfer program. And have you heard of Bitcoin Ikazi? I have, yeah, yeah. I don't of know course. much about it in terms of much like about the mechanics it. of what he's doing, but Mechan- yeah. okay, so. The reason I thought about it is kids after school, rather than getting into other activities that they shouldn't be getting into, they come and do sort of Bitcoin like education and they get sats for it that they can go and spend within nearby grocery stores. Maybe. So it's that that's the first thing that I thought of. And it's 
like you said, to ingrain in these small little interactions. And I will, I will warn you that I was always the, the I always had the impression of Bitcoin only. If we do that, then it avoids the person who has fiat to come and spend it to then become a Bitcoiner. So I feel like the fiat option should always be available so that an individual that doesn't have any Bitcoin can come spend fiat and then start their journey of, oh, wait, I'm paying a surcharge for fiat. Mm, I don't want that. And then maybe as time progresses, the surcharge just keeps increasing and increasing. And I'll, I know we were out of time. So I'll say this last, and I haven't been too public about this, is what I've learned the most is in my short time traveling, there's certain countries that have a bank public like white rate and a black market rate. So Egypt is one of them. When I landed, one Egyptian or one US dollar is equivalent to 37 Egyptian pounds. When I left, sorry, the, the bank rate for a US dollar is 31 Egyptian pounds, but the black market rate when I landed was 37. So there was already a discrepancy of almost 30%, 40% between the bank. Sorry, math I'm doing wrong. 15, 20%. When I left, the black market rate was 51. So it's almost a, we're closing in on a 100% increase between what the bank gives you versus what the black market gives you. So the then- black market is literally just free market. Correct. It is the free market. So now I suspect when we do the surcharge over time, it becomes 50%, 60%, 70%. Until one point, it's 200% if you want to pay in paper money. And at that point, why would you do that? You yeah. would want to pay in superior money. So exactly. we are just ne- the genesis moment of you opening the pickleball court of the juice shop, of a basketball court, of a massage parlor, whatever the idea is. We need these little businesses start to build these communities where we can slowly spoon feed Bitcoin without even them realizing that it's happening. Agreed. And actually just another little tidbit about the guy I've been talking to about the pickleball court. He also wants to start a, he, he wants to start create, you know, you talked about soil before he is a, his big on soil science and he wants to start a composting company that actually accepts people's uh, vegetable waste and Ooh. creates really good soil, which he can then resell to people for potty mix. And his idea is we will pay people for their garbage. We'll pay someone a mm-hmm. hundred sats every time they bring their vegetable waste, as long as it's not contaminated. And then we'll yeah. sell the soil. We'll, we'll have a worm farm. We'll sell the soil for people for potty mix. And it's like just another idea where you can pay people 10 cents for bringing you high quality vegetable waste. And it's not prohibitive to do as a business, but it's an incentive for people to bring it to you so you can create great soil. And I think just little things like that are such a, a novel thing that actually can only happen with something like Bitcoin, where no one needs to, you know, there's no minimum transaction fee. There's no friction to this. And it just opens up this whole realm of possibilities that weren't formally available. And this new, you know, creativity that unlocks human ideas built on microtransactions that were never before possible. So I think it's so cool. I need to come back to Canada just to <laughs> meet you guys. <laughs> we might do it in Costa Rica. So it might be something that's okay. done in Costa Rica because it's more conducive to playing pickleball all year long. And also there's already a micro economy built in the Golden Triangle Community there, Costa yeah, Rica. Yeah. So I'll be, uh, I'll be checking that out later okay. this year. And anyway, I'll keep you posted. We'll be in touch because I also want to hear about your basketball tournament and juice project. And actually, Finney 21 has sort of like a small pool of sats for things like that, where like if you want to host a basketball tournament, maybe Finney 21 can sponsor part of the prize money. 
because I think that's just a, it's a cool story to be able to tell and something to be part of. So um, we'll keep in touch. I want to keep updated on everything you're working on. Uh, anything to say before we kind of close this out? Uh, it's always a treat chatting with you and time flies because it's like, okay, let's keep it to an hour. That's actually quite yeah, a challenge. We sometimes. need more time. <laughs> Sorry. Closing thoughts. Uh, I will stick to what I always say. Be a student of Bitcoin, study, learn, and try to teach while you're at it as well because you'll learn even more while you're doing that. And um, if you can impart one thing, four S's, study, save, spend, and spread. Magic. Heuristics are very valuable. So I appreciate that one. Um, thanks everyone for listening and to Finney21 for making this event possible today and uh, compensating myself and Student of Bitcoin for our time and energy. Um, thank you, Student of Bitcoin, for your insights and your energy. And a reminder to everyone, today is Proof of Keys Day. While we're still in this infancy generation, leaning into the second sort of 15-year era, take custody of your keys while you still can in whatever way or context that means to you, uh, whether it's you know keeping that in mind when you enter Bitcoin or whether that means taking some of your sats off of exchanges into your own custody, do it while you still can because you don't want to have to do it when it's too late. Uh, and check out Aqua Wallet. Um, they're built by an awesome company, Gen3, who is doing nation state adoption. And uh, I think uh, I'm really excited to see what it presents in terms of a layer two everyday lightning liquid wallet. Um, so thanks for listening. We will catch you at the next event and uh, much love. Ciao. Much love, everyone.